Welcome to the Faith Christian Fellowship of Montego Bay's podcast. We are reaching for His glory through building and teaching. I hope you are encouraged and edified by this message. Even if you have never ever seen an angel and might never ever see one, the fact is there is the doctrine of angel and that angels are operating around you and on your behalf every day and it is very important that we get some insights into the realm or the angelic realm so that we can better relate to it the bible clearly teaches the existence of angels as mighty created beings whose chief duties are to worship and serve god and it is very important that we know that they are created beings, which means that they're not to be worshipped. Created beings are not to be worshipped. You know, there are people in different spheres that worship angels and try to fellowship in a certain way with angels. Angels were created, and it is wrong to worship created beings. There are two classes of angels. We have the elect and the fallen, and man is forbidden to worship either. We want to start out reading two passages of scripture just to establish from the word of God that the Bible speaks to angels and speak to angels in a potent way or speak about angels. So we're going to read from St. John chapter 1 verse 51 and then we will read from Hebrews chapter 12 as we continue our study on the doctrine of angels. St. John chapter 1 verse 51 and he saith unto him verily verily I say unto you hereafter ye shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending. So right there we can establish that angels ascend and descend from heaven. In other words they take up stuff and they bring down stuff. If you remember when Jacob had that dream where he saw a ladder and the top of the ladder was touching heaven and the bottom of the ladder was touching earth so in Genesis and the Bible says angels were ascending and descending on that ladder and it's the same thing that John 1 51 is saying so we can see from that scripture that angels are active as it relates to the heavenlies and in terms of carrying out their duties Hebrews chapter 12 verse 22 it says but ye are come unto mount zion and unto the city of the living god the heavenly jerusalem and to an innumerable company of angels well i have no idea what that number is it says innumerable that means there are plenty 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 angels around in fact We know that the believer has at least two angels assigned to them. And then there are other angels 
there are angels available to every human being on earth. So easily, we know that there are billions of angels. So the innumerable thing that is spoken of in Hebrews is very important. Jesus believed in angels. Jesus himself believed in angels. He referred to them in his teachings and even received ministry from them at one point when after the devil tempted him, the Bible said that angels came and ministered to him. We see in St. Luke chapter 1 where an angel of the Lord actually appeared uh, or announced the, the birth of Jesus to the Virgin Mary. And angels were instrumental in protecting Jesus when he was born from the attempt of Herod to kill him. So we see the activity of angels in the life of Jesus. In St. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 10, I think it says that the children have angels that watch over them work on their behalf. In St. Matthew chapter 26, Jesus was speaking to Pilate and Jesus made a statement. He said, he told Pilate that his father could send 10 legions of angels right now to work on his behalf. And a legion is about 6,000. So one legion of angels, about 6,000 angels. So God saying, if needs be, my father could send 60,000 angels to come and work on my behalf. And so we're establishing the point that Jesus himself believed in angels. He's our mentor, our teacher, our example. And if he believed in angels, then, you know, we should. Angels. Angels have the ability to take on human form. No, I did not say that they can become human beings. I'm just saying they have the ability to take on human form or appear in the form of human to appeal to man's senses in the sense of connecting with man so that can relate to man some of the times. So the angels, we see where Lot saw angels human form down in Sodom and Gomorrah, we see where Abraham saw angel in human form and different places in the Bible. Angels are always traversing around you and sometimes God gives you a peek into the, the spirit realm or the angelic realm so that you can have an idea of what is really happening around you and see how active the realm of the spirit or more specifically the angelic realm how active it is the angelic realm is more active than the natural realm because the evil ones are working and the good ones are working the evil ones are working to harm us good ones are working to protect us angels are also what we call immortal beings, meaning that they are not subject to death. They cannot die. We will get there one of these days when this mortal put on immortality and we're in that realm of the spirit. But the angels are in that realm where they're not subjected to death. So although they cannot die, they can be tormented. And in fact, that is what will happen when 
some of them are permanently sentenced to the lake of fire, to hell, all right? Because God knows the kind of torment that can, or the kind of punishment that can cause torment to them. So no doubt that the evil angels will be tormented. And also that the man who don't know the Lord, that is not born again, when he lives his eternal life with those angels will experience that torment. So therefore, it is best to be born again now, to commit your life to the Lord Jesus right now, so that you don't have to be subjected to that kind of torment. Now, here's something that is very important. Angels are not a race reproducing themselves. They don't reproduce themselves. They are what you call sexless in two senses. In terms of gender, they are neither male nor female. And then on the next end, they're not able to procreate. So in St. Matthew chapter 22, the Sadducees who don't believe in the resurrection went to Jesus one time to put a situation to him to say, well, you know, there was a man that had a wife and he died and according to the tradition the next brother was supposed to take the wife the next brother did that and they had seven different brothers and each of them died leaving the wife so when we get to heaven whose wife will she be and jesus said well you err you don't know the scripture because in heaven we're not given to marriage because spirits are not of that nature where they are gender, male or female. So they're not given to marriage in heaven. So anything as it relates to marriage must be done down here. Any marriage that you're going to enjoy as far as, you know, your spouse, it's going to be done here. The only marriage that will take place up there is we marrying the Lord, put it that way. So the Bible says we are the bride of Christ. But he said in heaven, they're not given to marriage. That's not a part of what happens. And as I said, the next part of it is that they, the angels, cannot, do not. There is nowhere in scriptures that teaches that the angels procreate. Now, this has been an issue for some times because of a scripture in Genesis chapter 6. And I want to read Genesis chapter 6 and just speak something there briefly. It is said that Genesis chapter 6 from verse 1 to about verse 4 is the hardest portion of scripture to translate in the Bible. People have different views and all of that on it. So let's read. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, and they were fair, and they took them wise of all that they chose. And the Lord God said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God 
came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown, or they were heroes. Now, first of all, the key thing to understand in the scripture, which has been a struggle where different theologians and expositors have given different understanding, different view on it. But I believe the key thing to understand in the scriptures, who were the sons of God that Genesis 6 speaks about it. Because it says the sons of God saw the daughters of men. There was interaction, sexual interaction, and they bore children. Sons of God is not an unusual term in the Bible. It is not the only time that that term has occurred in the Bible. In fact, it has occurred throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it is sometimes used in relation to angels and sometimes used in relation to man. So for Genesis chapter 6, we know that it must be talking about angels or man. When used in relation to man, it speaks to a bond through covenant. So, for example, in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, it says, As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So, that term sons of God there speaks to us being in covenant in fellowship, having a bond with God through our covenant with him. So as I said, it speaks to bond with God through a covenant. Now, there are two schools of thoughts here that speaks to this situation. And the first one is that Cain and Abel, who were born pretty early before the flood and all of that represented two different lines of life so to speak so you know cain brought the sacrifice that god did not accept and abel brought the sacrifice that was pleasing to the lord and we know that cain killed abel and the next child that was born to for want of a better way of saying it replace Abel was Seth, and Seth represented the righteous seed. So one of the school of thought here is that when the Bible speaks to the sons of God, it was talking about the children of Seth, while the children of men was speaking to, was speaking to the children of, of Cain. Now, that is interesting, but let's go on to the next school of Thought. The next school of thought is that the sons of God were speaking to angels, while the daughters of men speaks to human beings. So that school of thought, the latter one, would be suggesting that the angels had sex with the human beings. Well, if the angels had sex with human beings and produced human beings, that would contradict the fundamental principle in scripture that says everything produces after its kind. 
that would be a big problem there and put a lot of things in trouble if that was the way it went because that is one of the things that crypto is built on that everything produces after its kind if it was the angels that had sex with the humans that produced other humans then that would be a problem it would also raise another question if angels can procreate with human beings then they can procreate among themselves also which would mean we would have some baby angels around and the scripture does not support that in any way the procreation of angels in any way shape or form so the first school of thought speaking to the sons of god as the children of seth is the more logical school of thought or in terms of the scripture is the one that would stand up better now i know that there are many many questions around this and we probably would need to take a night out to study this i'm not really doing the study on this tonight so to speak but making mention of it as it is in our line of teaching as it relates to the doctrine of angels now the union between the sons of god and the daughters of men produced children called giants not the union between the sons of god and the daughters of men produced human beings that were extremely large called giants and that word giants is another avenue comes from a hebrew word name nephil if i pronounce it right and that speak to a group of people called the nephilims and history suggests that the nephilims existed long before genesis chapter 6 in fact if you read verse 4 of that same text it says in those days there were giants in the land so before the union between the sons of god and the daughters of men giants already existed that's not where the first set of giants came from that union so genesis chapter 6 verse 4 it says in those days there were giants in the land now if you remember when man was just created at least for the first 1500 years there about 2000 years maybe they lived extremely long men were living close to 1000 years over 900 years a man dying at 250 years that was really seriously untimely they used to live a very very long time but not only would they live a long time they were very big instructor a lot of the people in those days and it is believed that the nephilims are from those times in fact it is believed that the gene pool of the nephilims continued for a while in history where you will find that the bible speaks to what is called the anakims when joshua sent the 12 spies to go and spy out canaan land they went and they came back saying they saw the sons of anak anak is the man that represent the anakims and the anakims are the same set of people as the nephilims when you research so the pool continued right through to that time and you will also find 
that the last city or place that the Anakims lived and controlled was a place called Gath. And guess who came from Gath? Goliath, which was the giant that David fought. So it gives rise to the argument that group of people, the Anakims coming from the Nephilims would have been the people who represents the giants of the land. Now we're going through all of this just to establish the point that angels do not procreate. I know that especially in the spirit world and all of that and people are involved in all kinds of those activities talk about sex with demons and all that kind of stuff. Spirits do not procreate. There is no example of that in the Bible. And we have to choose to believe what we can prove, what is evidence from the Bible and not necessarily how we feel or what has been said over the years. Now, it is said also that the Anakims were people who would overrun cities all the time and take the women from the cities and rape them, uh, have sexual affair with them. So their gene pool would have been pretty widely spread, even outside of the group of the Anakims, or if you look way back to the Nephilims. So the, the gene pool of the giants would actually be outside of their own people because they would often overrun cities because of their size and all of that, they could overrun cities easily. And they would often do that and rape the women. So the idea of giants and the pool could go really far and wide. It's just like something similar to when Solomon had about a thousand women and he had women from all over the place. So that could put the Jewish people or people being born in Africa, Asia, different places with Jewish um, lineage, a, a real possibility because of the amount of women that Solomon slept with. So when you look at it, you can see the extent to which the Anakims would have had influence. Now, there are about 300 references of angels or two angels in the Bible, which help to substantiate their existence. There's no way you could have over 300 references of them and then deny their existence. The good angels, as I said, are concerned with our welfare, while the evil ones are out to cause us harm as human beings. The Hebrew word for angel is the word malak, and it means agent or messenger. The Greek word for angel is the word angelos, and it also means messenger. So we can conclude that an angel is an agent or a messenger. Depending on what kingdom that angel is working for, there would be an agent of that kingdom or a messenger of that kingdom. Interestingly, these words, in terms of the Hebrew word, the Greek word, the general meaning agent or messenger, 
is used of God, men, and angelic beings. So if you see the word messenger or agent or even the Hebrew or the Greek word, it requires diligent study because it doesn't necessarily mean it is always speaking to angel because these words are used of God, men, and angelic beings. So it is important to have proper interpretation so we can be clear what it is speaking to. Angelic beings or the angelic realm actually have different ranks, speak to different ranks. So you will have the archangels, you have principalities, powers, seraphims, cherubims. You also have one which is very important called the angel of the Lord. I'm sure you would have read about it, but just think that it's just speaking in general term. No, there's one called the angel of the Lord. And then also the mirror of angels. So all of these are ranks of the angelic realm. The eternal Godhead is revealed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and revealed as the creator and Lord of angels, being worshiped and served by them. Again, they are created beings, and they are not to be worshiped. In fact, they were created to give worship. So if you read Revelations chapter 4 and other scriptures, you see where it says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. The angels worshiping. For thou hast created all things, all things, and for thy pleasures they are and were created. He created what? All things. And all things were created for his pleasure, not to be worshiped. Now, Hebrew tradition states that there are 12 archangels. And there is a book called the Book of Enoch that named 12 archangels. However, the scriptures specifically name only three. And we're going to stick with the scriptures, what the Bible says, and we will focus on those three. All right. The first one believe it or not, is a guy called Lucifer. Means day star or light bearer or son of the morning. And we don't need to introduce him to you. You would already know who Lucifer is. However, we want to read a portion of scripture out of Isaiah chapter 14. We're going to read from verse 12 to 14. But also Ephesians chapter Two speaks to Lucifer being the prince of the air and all of that. But let's look at the Isaiah portion. It says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. So you see there for yourself that he attempted to exalt himself above God. And of course, he was 
out of heaven. So Lucifer is seen as, as the archangel that was associated with the throne of God. So that would speak to worship. He was the leader of worship to God among the angelic host. So he is versed at that. And we say it all the time, but when you understand the doctrine of angels, you will see it even more clearly that the enemy, Lucifer, can weave his way around worship. So we have to walk in the spirit when we worship because he will play us. Uh, he can play the church, play on emotions, and we say things with our lips, but never really worship God because he knows how to mastermind that. Lucifer knows how to mastermind that. And so we have to be extremely careful. Through pride and rebellion, he fell from this place. But the second archangel that, that we're going to speak about that is mentioned in the Bible is Michael. Michael is specifically called an archangel. His name means who is like God or to be godlike. There are four, about four specific accounts of his activities in the Bible. I think there are a couple in Daniel, Daniel chapter 10, and then there's also another account in Jude and also in Revelation, where his name was specifically called. But there are other activities in the Bible that uh, Michael was involved in that the scripture didn't necessarily name the angel that was involved in the activity. But from careful studies and from the context, it would be Michael. Michael was the chief prince of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. All right, remember that. Satan is called the prince and the power of the air. And this is why we also come to that conclusion that, you see, God don't really fight Lucifer because they're not in the same class. He's a prince. Lucifer is a prince. So Michael is the one that really deals with them, deals with him because they are in the same category as our rank as it relates to angel. They're considered prince. His activities in terms of Michael, Michael are always seen in relation to warfare with Satan and the resurrection of the body. All right. So his activities are always seen in relation to warfare. And again, we say, I wouldn't say he's assigned to Satan to war him, but certainly he is always seen in relation to warfare with Satan and the resurrection of the body. Many expositors think that Michael is the archangel that will come with the Lord Jesus at his second coming relative to the resurrection of the saints and the changeover from mortal to immortality of the saints. You remember what? First Thessalonians 4 verses 16 says, it says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. And so that's the archangel that is believed to be Michael that will come back as he's the one that generally carry out those functions. The voice of the archangel, the trump of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first, then those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And 
as I said before, Michael is also seen in relation to the resurrection of the body. And that occasion will be a mass resurrection. And Michael is seen as the man that would be with the Lord Jesus in that moment. But I also want to point out, on that occasion, the saints will meet the Lord in the air, all right? Jesus is not coming back to the earth in that time. The saints will meet the Lord in the air. So there will be a lot of activities there. And um, it is one of the things that are one of the events that characterizes the end time. And there are about five events that actually characterize the end time. The third angel is one that is called Gabriel. So there's Lucifer, there's Michael. We're talking about archangels here. And thirdly, Gabriel. Gabriel means strength of God or God strengthens. There are special occasions that Gabriel is mentioned. He is the messenger. He's seen as the information minister. And also the interpreter of the prophetic word concerning the Christ of God. So he appeared to Daniel twice, then to Zacharias. You remember when Zacharias was doing his duties as priest in the temple and the angel appeared to him announcing the birth of John the Baptist because Zacharias is John the Baptist's father. So that was the angel Gabriel. It's the same Gabriel that also appeared to Mary to announce the birth of Jesus. Each of those occasions, each of those visitations involve messianic revelation. And that is why he is seen in addition to bringing the information as the interpreter of the prophetic word concerning the Christ of God. On all the occasions that he appeared, it involved messianic revelation. And we have examples of that in Daniel chapter 8. Um, there's Daniel chapter 10. And of course, there is Luke chapter 1 concerning Jesus. So Gabriel is the third archangel. Now, some writers have suggested that these three archangels each had a third of the angels under them. And that when Lucifer fell, he took his third with him because the nature of angels and, and the ranks archangels and all of that kind of stuff is that they're very loyal to the archangel that leads them. So the, the suggestion is that when Lucifer fell, his third stayed loyal to him. Hence the demonic population or what we would call the evil angels. The other two thirds remain faithful to God and his word under their archangels, Michael and Gabriel. God, I believe, work in our lives from time to time to give us understanding of his word so that we can be all that he wants us to be. And I believe that sometimes we have to digest 
true on these things for a time and allow the Holy Spirit himself to bring revelation. Please understand that not everything that you hear, you're going to immediately have clear understanding of it. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He comes to guide us and lead us into all truth, to show us things to come and to bring back things to our remembrance. So sometimes it's after 10 years, you might be in prayer or just sitting down and the Holy Spirit bring back something and give you great understanding of it. So this is why we have to stay in fellowship with God, knowing that he, the Holy Spirit, is the greatest teacher and we want to subject ourselves to him to understand who he is and uh, allow him to open the eyes of our heart and enlighten the eyes of our understanding as we progress from time to time. Life consists of two real worlds. Sometimes our natural mind tries to confine us to one world, but life consists of two real worlds, real worlds. The seen or the visible world and the unseen or the invisible world. I will say to you tonight that the unseen world is bigger and more powerful than the seen world. However, the seen and the unseen world partnering together in this present age will produce the best results for either kingdom. So the kingdom of God, the seen world, you and I in the relating to the natural, when we partner with the unseen world, when we partner with the kingdom of God, partner with the angelic realm, walk in faith and connect with the things of the spirit by faith, that will allow the kingdom of God to have a greater impact on earth. The kingdom of darkness is trying to do the very same. If they can get their agents in the realm of the spirit to work closely with those in the natural, then they will have great impact also. That is why the Bible tells us walk in the spirit because as we are led by the spirit, we will be able to execute things here on earth that would not otherwise be executed. We'll be able to carry out assignments that would not otherwise be carried out. There are some people that it is going to require certain levels of the supernatural for them to be born again. So like with Paul and Silas, how many people you know that have heard the gospel over and over and over and over again, but they've not responded. And it's going to take some happenings as it relates to you who relate to the natural world, partnering with the supernatural for God to manifest himself in a certain way to even those that you've been praying for. It is very, very important that we walk in the spirit so we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. If your conscious operations as a believer are limited to the seen or the natural world, you would have severely compromised your ability to succeed because there are things in the spirit, in the realm of the spirit that you have to break through 
in order to get to your destiny and you cannot break through them with your natural mind or with just natural occurrences. Yes, it is important to do some natural things. We, we live in a realm where we have to relate to the natural, but it is important that we partner with the realm of the spirit so that we can become all that God intended for us to be. So your natural abilities cannot navigate the unseen world. That is why in 1 Corinthians, the Bible says that the natural man cannot understand the things of the spirit because they're foolishness to him. Neither can he knows them because they are spiritually discerned. So the kingdom of God and also the kingdom of darkness have their network between the seen and the unseen worked out in order to get the intended impact on, of their kingdom on earth. Now, you as a believer, you ought to be that agent, that partner with God and not with the unseen work of darkness. And this is why also we have to walk in the spirit because the enemy is so subtle. And if you're not careful, some things that you don't see as anything big, any real issue, uh, it's something that you grew up with and all of that, it's a part of your life. If you're not careful, they're wrapped up in the kingdom of darkness and comes in a deceptive way to control your life. Example, horoscope. Yeah, I know some of you love to talk about how oh, you're Virgo and Gemini and this and that and all that kind of stuff. Walk in the spirit because you could be creating bondage between you and the kingdom of darkness. And so instead of you really working for the kingdom of God, you profess Jesus and you go to church, but you are actually working for the kingdom of darkness if you are, you know, caught up in the schemes of the kingdom of darkness. So tonight, I encourage you again, walk in the spirit. This is one of the biggest challenge, I think, of Christian believers today. Walk in the spirit and believe in God that he will continue to impart in your life as it relates to the doctrine of angels we thank you so much for joining us today god bless you and have a great day you may contact us by email at fcfmontegobay at gmail.com or follow us on instagram at fcfmobay and on facebook at fcfmontegobay